This is Andrew Hall. You're listening to Dead Hand Radio, a podcast about the Cold War, its history, and the effects it had on our culture, technology, and the future of our world. My guest for this episode is Jamie Ray, a fellow member of the Slightly Irregular Podcast Network and the creator and host of Fave Five from Fans, a podcast where he and his guests each make a list and discuss their five favorites of anything. Jamie grew up during the 70s and 80s, and as a child of the Cold War, he shares very similar feelings as many others from that era. On this episode of Dead Hand Radio, Jamie and I discuss movies about the Cold War. We talk about The Day After, Threads, By Dawn's Early Light, On the Beach, and Failsafe, as well as several others. They're all incredible World War III movies, as you'll hear in our conversation. And if you haven't seen them, I highly recommend you check them out. We also touch briefly on one of my all-time favorite movies, Dr. Strangelove. So if you enjoy movies about the Cold War or history and pop culture from the 40s through the 90s, I hope you find this episode entertaining and educational. First thing I want to talk about is... um, a little bit of background about you, uh, why you started your podcast. Let's let's start right there, okay? Okay. Well, um, I guess I started my podcast after listening to both the Fright Club with uh, George and Hope, and of course our mutual brother, uh, Phantom Dark Dave, with his Pop Culture podcast. Uh, driving back and forth to work, um, my job entailed about uh, about a little bit over an hour or so drive each way so I was looking for things to pass by the time and um, got into those got into um, the B movie uh, podcast which uh, they're not on Twitter they're on um, Facebook and they talked about a lot of older movies and it just really felt like having those people in the car with me and I enjoyed that I think the best podcasts are the ones that you inevitably find yourself talking to the device in agreement or in argument with. And I just said, you know, I enjoy this so much. I would love to do this. And so at the end of last year, I uh, joined what's called the Acadiana Open Channel, uh, which is our Lafayette, Louisiana area uh, multimedia center that you can go to. Uh, you can do podcasts, you can do live on air, you can record pretty much anywhere. A great organization, and they taught me about doing podcasts, and then I just decided what the heck. Got a few of them uh, in the can, and then uh, early in January of this year, I kicked off the first official episode of Fave 5 from Fans, and I haven't looked back since. Awesome. And so your podcast you basically cover five of anything. Yes. Yeah, so basically, exactly. Whatever, yeah, whatever a fan uh, of a something and I that share an interest in, uh, I try to do an episode. So, so far, we've done a lot of movies and TV because that's simple. That's easy. Everybody likes some one thing or another. Uh, but I'm also branching out into toys and 
uh, magazines, comics, books, authors, basically anything that something I have an interest in and I have a friend that has an interest in. And um, it's, it's structured so that the friend makes a list of it uh, of at least five uh, honorable mentions are you know, allowed. Uh, and I make mine, but we do not discuss what those lists are until we actually sit down in the plastic microphone studios to record the episode. And so there's a, there's a good factor, a good wow factor, a good laugh factor. Um, the number one thing about my show that I, that I'm most proud of is that it is a favorites list, which I know there's a lot of top whatevers, uh, a lot of best whatevers. You can argue with someone what the best thing is because you can look at, I don't know, directing or writing or cinematography. But when it's your favorite, there's no argument. That's yours. You have your own reasons for it being your number one. And I, I love that uh, because you can have five people in a room and all five of them have a different favorite, but they might all agree what the best of, say, a movie is. And that's what I go for. What part of the country are you in? I live in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is uh, actually we just had a visit from Marco and from Laura. Um, but we were very lucky that um, it went more toward the west of us. Uh, went through an area called Lake Charles and Cameron. Um, some of my friends um, have had it pretty hard. Um, two, two of them, three of them actually now that I've talked to another one today. Uh, everybody's had damage. One is a total loss. Um, but everybody's alive all the animals all the kids so it's uh it's still a, you know it's a blessing i mean everything you know stuff can be replaced uh people can't and luckily we uh, had enough warning that those people got out and got to safety and now they're coming back and be a long road to start over you know yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. As, as you know speaking of things can be replaced that's absolutely true what can't be minimized is the trauma that a homeowner endures when losing their home to a disaster like that or a fire or an earthquake, you know? Yes, sir. You are exactly correct. Can't minimize that trauma. And uh, I know this firsthand because my dad, a couple of years ago in the fire in Paradise, California, lost his house, Every mm. everything he owns. Yeah. It is definitely something that sticks with you. As a, as a kid, um, our dryer caught on fire. We were all home, uh, and I was, I think, five at the time. And we had to all go out on the streets, and, and a neighbor brought me into our house directly across. And so I watched our house burn. Thankfully, we didn't lose the house. We just lost the garage and, and all the external stuff. But I'm 50 years old now, and I can still close my eyes and remember what that looked like. And my, my wife and past sister-in-laws uh, have all joked because when my brother and I leave a house, um, we do not leave the dryer running. <laughs> we always go and, and turn it off. And it's just, it is just something that when you are helpless and powerless uh, and have something like that happen to you, uh, it, is, it is definitely formative and sticks with you. And so my heart goes out to all of those people uh, right now who are having to, to rebuild some from nothing literally nothing you know everything's gone there but the grace of god god i'll tell you 
True. Definitely. Well, I'm glad that you were saved or, you know, spared of the, uh, the, any damage. Uh, you guys got some rain, I'm sure. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, uh, we were, um, we were only without power for probably for less than an hour. Um, you know, no, not, not bad at all. So I, I have no, absolutely no complaints. Good. Good. Well, glad you made it through that. Thank you, brother. Okay. So getting back to your, uh, to your podcast, um, you're saying that your, your, your main focus is that the, the list that you and your guest discuss is a favorites list. And that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes perfect sense to me, actually, that, um, you know, you guys don't have to debate. <laughs> you really, Exactly. There really is nothing to debate. Like if I said my favorite ice cream is chocolate and you try to convince me that it's not, well, you know, that's, that's just crazy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, and literally your fave five from fans could cover anything. It doesn't have to be pop culture. You, like you say, you could do toys um, or memorabilia, uh, comic books and such and such. Uh, you could even do food. Like I was just suggesting ice cream, right? Exactly. We, uh, uh, it's funny that you say that because before the hurricane hit, I actually had a show scheduled to do today um, that we've had to put off for a couple of weeks and we will be discussing our, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll announce it here first. It's the fave five toys you didn't get as a kid. <laughs> Good one. man. Yeah. yeah. And uh, actually my guest is, uh, it was his idea and he came to me and said, man, I've been listening to your show and enjoying it, but what about this? And I was like, great idea you're the guest come up with it so who's and, the guest uh, he, he's a friend of mine uh, what we call a, a rom pal um, you may hear in the intro where i talk about one of the things being rom the space knight um, i'm a huge fan of the comic book which was based on a 1979 toy uh, the comic lasted so much longer than the toy did it's about a guy who has been um, cybernetically and molecularly melded with a suit of armor and he's one of many space knights who have fought a, uh, a group of aliens called the dire wraiths and it's a real weird thing because it was back in the, the late 70s early 80s when marvel was doing a bunch of tie-ins with toys like they were doing this with gi joe and transformers and so parker brothers owns rom the space knight the name and the look but marvel created all of the villains and all of the space knights so when it came to a close rom did a couple of appearances here and there and then vanished and there's been a a, a big push in the last four to five years uh chris Ryle with uh, or formerly with idw uh, was able to actually acquire the license to redo rom but he couldn't use all of the Space Knights because they were owned by Marvel. Um, it's one of James Gunn's top three uh, characters that he would like to actually get into Guardians of the Galaxy hmm, as cool. well. That was in the micro, there was a Micronaut that was in there too named Bug. So, uh, so in, the, anyway, the guest is named Lee Seats, Seitz, and he was one of the first ROM pals, which is a group on Twitter where we all use that hashtag and just uh, oddly enough, even after 
30 plus years, there's, um, there's still a lot of ROM stuff going on. And so we'll, we'll share little things. We'll share when we have, you know, a, a custom artwork done or some guys do custom figures and stuff. So, so we're, that's, it's going to be cool because neither of us um, know the much about the other's childhood. So I'm going to be interested to know which toys he didn't get and which of those toys he now has. <laughs> Great. So uh, is there anything else about your podcast that you would like people to know? I would like people basically just to know that it, if you don't like this episode, wait till the next episode, because, you know, I've got friends who, who don't like horror. I've got people who've told me, man, I've only listened to, I could only listen to two of your episodes out of the 26 that's out there right now. And that's fine because did you like those two? Because it's a show for everybody, but not necessarily this week. And so, um, and also if you've got an idea, you know, hit me up on Twitter. It's fave, the number five from fans, or you can um, hit me up on Facebook. And if you've got an idea four or five, I would love to hear it. So uh, with that in mind, we'll um, change direction a little bit. We'll talk about what my podcast focuses on. And being that you are a child of the eighties, you grew up in the eighties. Were you, were, were you, a little kid uh, through the eighties or were you born in the seventies? I was born in 1970. Oh, okay. So yeah. So by 1980, I was 10 years old. I was, was ripe with childhood. Um, I liked toys. I liked comics. I liked TV and I liked movies. Um, so all the stuff in the, the, the late, the mid to late seventies and eighties, uh, I was right there. Uh, either watching it as soon as it came on or when it came out or catching it, you know, in syndication. Got it. So, and as you know, the topic of my podcast is the cold war history, culture, technology, you know, the full gamut of whatever happened during that period of time, which the seventies and eighties fell right within that area. Right. Right. I remember the Berlin wall coming down. You know, I, I was there watching it on TV. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you is uh, what significant events or milestones in the history of the Cold War stand out in your mind? Yeah, that one was a big one. Um, you know, one of the other probably most important things that I remember <laughs> was when Prince's Controversy came out. There was a song on there called uh, Ronnie Talk to Russia. And I think it was very early 80s. So Prince really wasn't on my radar, but a friend of mine uh, was a fan. And I remember listening to that song going, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with that song? No. Okay. Uh, and it, it is all about um, Prince basically telling uh, then President Reagan, you need to stop all of this bickering and talk to Russia before it's too late. And that is really one of the first times that I thought about the fact that this wasn't just a movie on TV or that it wasn't something like that, that, man, there's really something going on here. Like I, said, I think it was like 82 or maybe, maybe 81. Uh, so 
after that, I think when things would pop up on my radar, uh, it would stick a little bit. And then we started, you know, finding out about the stuff um, that happened, you know, the Bay of Pigs invasion and, and how close we actually got back then. Um, and that's when it started hammering home that uh, we, we were living in a time when we weren't out of the woods yet. And a lot of these movies um, remind me of the feeling that I had when I watched them thinking, oh, wow, it could, could this happen? It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just Star Wars that out in space that this was something that, that could really happen. Sure, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the movies um, because that's a, a very significant part of, as kids growing up during that era, you had certain movies that really drove home the message of what the Cold War was all about. And <clears throat> because you're the master of lists, uh, you compiled a, a list of your own, and that's awesome. We'll talk about those movies. Um, I'd like to drill down a little bit further with uh, some of the non-movie-related events that may have uh, like triggered some thoughts about the Cold War. Uh, if if you have any if you have any recollections of like when, so you were, you were 10 in 1980 and that was the first year that uh, Reagan took office. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people that I've talked to that were around in those days, they were young, remembered hearing about Reagan coming into office and thinking it was going to be nuclear Armageddon when this guy comes into office. I don't want to get into politics but a lot of people were fearful that Reagan was going to push the button and, and uh, yes. cause nuclear Armageddon. Do you remember anything like that when you were a kid? Oh yeah. I remember uh, a lot of people feeling that way. Um, I remember seeing it in media, uh, mad magazines or cracked magazines would have, you know, everybody was talking about having his, his finger on the button. Um, it wasn't until I got, I don't know, probably in the mid to late 80s that I really understood how close we could have gotten, I guess to say, uh, that it that it that it could have happened. I, I think maybe when I was when he was first getting into office and I was 10, it didn't really hit to me too much. Uh, but I could tell just, you know, from things going on. I mean, we had just gotten, you know, out of you know, the energy crisis. And I can, I remember that being a big deal. Uh, I remember people talking about the, you know, the satellites, you know, did we really have, you know, stuff up there? Um, a, a lot, we didn't have a lot of politics in my house. I, I had one brother uh, and my mom and dad. And so we, we didn't, we didn't talk too much about what could have happened or what can happen. Uh, we talked a lot more about actual facts so i don't know if that that makes a lot of sense but we didn't we didn't go on my dad had had been through vietnam um and as that was a major event in his life he uh he actually didn't want to talk about it a lot so i guess the generalities that came around us were anything i would have seen on tv or later on in the second term 
uh, I was more into, in high school and in a, uh, a group there that we, we had a lot of, of course, I think we called it civics back then, where we had a lot of those discussions. So it wasn't until I was about 14 or 15. One of the things that uh, popped into my head as we were talking about this, do you remember when MTV first came out? Oh, yeah, I remember watching it. Okay. The first day when uh, the Boggles came on. <laughs> Video killed the radio star, you know? Then, uh, then I'm sure you remember the song by Phil Collins, Land of Confusion. Mm. That little claymation yes. uh, animation video of Ronald Reagan talking about the, you do remember the song in the video? I do. I do. Yeah. I, I think I was confusing it just now with, uh, with Peter. Um, I don't know the other guy, Peter Gabriel. A, yeah. Peter Gabriel song, but that might've been, yeah. uh, you know, I think you're right. I think it was Peter Gabriel. So I didn't, I didn't do my homework on that because I'm going off the top of my head. This is ad lib. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was a Peter Gabriel song. I think you're right. The land of confusion. Yeah. It sounds like you're looking it yeah. up. Yeah, I am. I think, no, I think we're Idea. putting two things together because yeah. land of confusion is a Genesis song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And it does look like it has like puppets or claymation on it. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Phil Collins was the drummer singer for, yep. for Genesis. Exactly. Right. Uh, I thought it was Phil Collins, but you know, when you said Peter Gabriel, I, those two guys were like hand and fist. I think they both sang for, uh, <laughs> For Genesis at one point, didn't they? I believe you are correct. Yeah. I think uh, Peter Gabriel sang for him first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. But that little claymation of Ronald Reagan, for some reason, popped into my head when you were talking about uh, the things that you were saying. And mm -hmm. uh, these are the things that, you know, as we're growing up, I was, I'm a few years older than you. I was born in 66, mm -hmm. uh, graduated in 84 which was uh, Reagan's second term as he was coming into office. Um, I remember that because that was the first year I could vote. Ah. And, uh, and you know, it was, uh, I, I, I was very proud. I was very happy to be able to go and cast my vote. And, uh, <clears throat> but that wasn't the end of the Cold War. I mean, we were still very things were still very uncertain between the u.s and the ussr right for another uh, i don't know another seven or eight years until the berlin wall came down as you said in 89 and then a couple of years later when the soviet union collapsed and that was really the end of it um so there is a um a little bit of trivia that you may or may not be aware of, but there was a song by the Scorpions that came out, I think in 89. Okay. Um, and it was uh, right around the time that the, uh, the Berlin wall was coming down and it's called winds of change. Yeah. It's got that awesome whistling or wind of change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's got that, that great whistling uh, section in there. So, that song has been attributed to being the anthem of the end of the Cold War. Were you aware of that? I have heard that they came out the same time. I remember reading that Christmas Day of like, I don't know, 91, 90 or 91 was the last time uh, 
that they ever flew a Soviet flag over the Kremlin. And I know that some people think that's actually, some people say that's the end of the Cold War. I, I, but a great song. But, you know, the thing is, is that I, I, it's, it's really hard to put what, what really ended the Cold War because there was, I mean, it's not like switching a, a, a light bulb off. No, definitely not. No, it was yeah, a series so, of events. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But no, the, the song, regarding the song, it was simply given the, um, the moniker of the anthem of the end of the Cold War. Yeah. It's not responsible for being, for bringing down the Berlin Wall or, or bringing down the Soviet Union or anything like that. It's just something that people connect with the end of the Cold War. Yeah, I think it was playing a lot. And it did, yeah. did that video have footage of the Berlin Wall coming down? I don't know. I'm try- Good question. I'm trying to remember that one. Good question. There's actually a podcast dedicated to the um, idea that that song was written by the CIA. <laughs> have you heard that? I have not. Uh, they put together a pretty good case for it, but that's awesome. That seems a little a little far stretched for me. <laughs> a little far of a stretch for me to to yeah. to believe that one, but um, still an interesting little tidbit. Yes. Uh, so, is there anything else about the Cold War that you'd like to talk about before we get into the movies? Oh no, there's so many things I think that attributed to it. Uh, for for me, you know, Sputnik was always just one of the, the 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 big major events that I think if you had to like keep score of which side was, I remember that being one that really punched us in the eye. And you know, that that was the the point where America said, "Okay, that's it. Let's get her done." And you know, um, but no, there were so so many things about it. We literally could you could do a podcast about it. And look, you are absolutely yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, but I'm good to uh, to switch to media. Okay, well let's do that. So you um, when you and I first talked about doing a a collaboration, um, we thought about five or six movies that kind of represent um, milestones or important moments in the cold war. Um, And uh, I didn't really put together a list for this because I've watched some of those movies multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just kind of wanted to let you talk about yours and I'll piggyback off of that. And maybe I'll add in a, a, an additional movie or, uh, something at the end of that we'll we'll just see where that goes how about that oh that sounds great um well i would probably put these in in no particular order first of all um if i had to pick something i would say that this first movie i want to talk about is the one that was most impactful for me uh came out in november of 1983 on abc uh it was a movie called the day after no it very um, well yep yeah yeah so it had over a hundred million viewers and has held the record for most broadcast tv viewers of all time i think that's unbroken uh, to this day it was directed by nicholas meyer uh, which this will be the first of a few times that we talk about star trek crossovers Uh, Nicholas Myers, of course, directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and a personal favorite of mine, Time After Time. Uh, This was a movie that took place 
at a small uh, Midwestern towns. I think it was two different towns, uh, both of which had locations that were close to nuclear silos at the time. Um, and so you, you, do you remember actually watching this on TV? No, I don't. Uh, but I knew about the movie. Uh, so I must've watched it on TV. Yeah. I know they played it several times again afterwards. Uh, but I actually do remember, uh, watching this with my mom and dad and my brother. Um, and it, it, you know, no pun intended, it literally blew me away. Um, some of the, some of the ways that they did things in this. So they had characters that are actors, I should say, that I was, you know, somewhat familiar with. Uh, Jason Robards, um, you know, Steve Gutenberg was on there, John Lithgow. B.B. Uh, Beach was actually in it too, uh, another Star Trek alum. And um, Jeff East, who played the young Clark Kent from the first Superman movie. Um, and so the first half of the movie, I think, is is just about them. You're figuring out who these people are. Jason Robards is a doctor. John Lithgow is like a professor. Uh, and it leads up to uh, a nuclear exchange between the forces of NATO and the Warsaw Pact, which you, you can't talk more about the Cold War than those two baddies right there. Um, and it follows these, these different stories about these different people. And I won't go into all of the scenes, but I will. I wanted to point out some of the things that really stuck with me, uh, one of which being the ICBM launches. This was like the first time that I think I, it really struck home to me how many nuclear weapons we actually could have just by seeing some of the real footage that they used uh, of launches, practice launches, I guess, from what, different places. And to think that there were over 100 different sites that had multiple warheads and then finding out that there was a site uh, just not too far from where we lived up in Arkansas. Um, that really stuck with me. Uh, another one would have to be that when Jason Robards was, uh, I think he was trying to make his way back to the hospital after the, all the, the ICBMs had launched, there's that shot where they've got all of the people who are leaving the city and he's the only one driving back in and it goes off and he like gets down in his car and it, it was just, it kind of shook me as how bright it was, how loud it was, how much it moved. And to think if this was anything like what it would be in real life, uh, I would say it, it scared me, you know, um, it was something else. Uh, I remember the EMP pulses and talking to my dad afterwards about what, I mean, they, they kind of explain what happens, but what does it really mean? Uh, and he was a very, uh, my dad wasn't necessarily a learned man, but he was probably one of the smartest people I've ever known. And we always had world book encyclopedias. So I remember after this talking to him, we went and got the encyclopedia and pulled it out and, and read about what it actually means and what it could do and how it wasn't just something that like turned things off and you had to go back and reset them they were pretty much dead and you would have to, you know, replace major components to get them to work again. That was kind of scary to think that every, all the cars you had, everything like that would be just junk at that point. So the, the explosions 
were were to me one of the scarier things is when the light would come in behind you and you'd see their skeletons and then it would just wipe them away and i think they interspaced uh, i'm sorry they interspliced footage from um the trinity tests with the houses and the buildings in there so you got an idea of actually how what it really looks like versus what it would look like on a large scale you know and of course from there everything devolves you know the farms the hospitals um it was i thought what would be one of the most depressing films until i i saw another one later on that we'll talk about and, you know because it was it was a it was a walk in the park compared to what the bbc did oh we'll um, we'll get yeah. to that for sure but yeah, yeah, to, yeah to be sure that that movie was you know aside from the wow factor i i, I that's kind of the, not the right term to use, but uh, you know the the visual impact of the launching, the the simulated explosions, um, the stories, the personal stories, the individual stories of those people who survived. That's exactly. re that's really what drove it home for most people, I think, and and made that movie so impactful. I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was just even as a kid to realize, like there's a scene where I think they're following one of the farmers and they have a big meeting and they're like in a, a blown out building talking about how they have to scrape all of the, the, the dirt off to start over. And he comes home and there's people living on the outside of his, his, um, his farm. And when he gets down to talk to him and say, you know, basically, you can kind of see it breaks his heart but at the same time he's got to provide for his family he's trying to tell him look you know you guys just can't the other guy walks around just shoots him in the back mm -hmm. and just goes back to the fire and cuts some more of the meat off or something yeah um and th there were two movies in 1983 that talked about nuclear explosions the other one uh, do you remember special bulletin nope but i'm gonna okay, put it that, on my list to watch it that is a really amazing movie that takes place almost in real time where some home some homegrown guys scientists who are trying to, to stop the nuclear proliferation that they make a bomb and have it in a tugboat in charleston south carolina's harbor and so it's a docudrama where uh, you're seeing the the reporters and you're you know they're going back and forth and I remember both of those movies, even though they're different styles, both hit me the same way in that time. Uh, one about, you know, the bad Russians that, you know, were, were coming to attack them. And one of them was about all Americans. Just, I even at that point understood that people were calling them terrorists, but they were out for our benefit. They were trying to, to make, you know, make the world a safer place and, and so both of those films they, they really hit with me yeah i'll have to check that out special bulletin yeah. Yeah. um going back to the day after one scene that stood out for me above all other scenes was or actually a, a sequence it wasn't just one single scene but it was a sequence leading up to this scene i don't know if you remember oh you recently watched it right um, I watched a review of it okay. to remind me, okay. uh, and then I went out and looked for the uh, the end scene because I couldn't remember exactly how I thought I remembered how it ended. Um, but no, 
please. So there was there was a, you know, the, it, it was it was basically like a, a group of stories that were all surrounded about by the or surrounded surrounding this event, and these these one of the stories that was unfolding was this. There was an old timer who was an old, I don't know if he was World War II or Vietnam vet, but he, he was a ham radio uh, operator. And every day he would go to, you know, he would get on his radio and he would call out and try to see if he could get a hold of anybody. <clears throat> and there was a little kid, and I'm not sure who that kid was, but it might have been um, the actor that you mentioned who was the, later on he was Superman. Oh, Jeff East. Yeah, could be right. Could could have been that little kid. But anyway, that little kid would come and hang out with the old timer. And the old timer taught him how to use a ham radio. And over the, the course of the movie, you would see those two, you know, doing their doing their little hangout, try to get a hold of people. And at the beginning they would get a hold of people, they would get news and they would share their news. Um as time went on, there was less and less people that were responding over the radio. Mm-hmm. And eventually the old timer died of, uh, I guess, radiation sickness. Cause it took him a little while to, to pass away. Oh yeah. But then the kid showed up and man, it gets me thinking about it. Kid showed up at his house, sees that the old timer is gone and a little kid gets on the radio and he continues the the exercise. Trying I think to, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the scene that uh, I guess broke me for, from that yeah. movie. Oh, for, for me, I think the worst scene had to be. So I want to say there was a couple that was pregnant. And that was part of going through the different stories were that that here they are getting ready to have this baby. And do you remember them having it at the end? And it was um, stillborn, know, it, right? Yeah. Oh, no, I think it came out and then died. Okay. I, I think stillborn was another one. I could be wrong, but I just remember it being, God, it was just, it was like this movie. There was nothing hopeful right. at it. Right. You know, at the end, it was just everything one after the other, you know? And then the very end when Jason Robards finally has made his way home and, all those, uh, everything, you know, it's not even a neighborhood. It's just, just stacks of bricks and piles of rubble. And, and you could tell are, he's, he's deteriorating from the, Oh yeah. There's falling out. He's got scabs mm-hmm. all over his skin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so depressing. It is. Yeah. But not the worst, not the worst movie. No, not, no sir. <laughs> so is that the one you want to talk about next? Yeah, sure. Let's okay. jump to, to threads. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yes, sir. From 1984. So somebody uh, across the pond saw Day After and said, ha, we could do better than that, mate. And I'm they sorry, did. that's a bad accent. Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, f- on a budget of 400,000 pounds. Wow. They made a film that, now, and I found out that the, 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 the one person in this movie who I actually even knew about was the director, a guy named Mick Jacklin. Um, he actually did the bodyguard with uh, Whitney Houston and he did volcano later on. Um, holy, this movie, man, takes place in uh, Sheffield, England. Uh, and r- again, a, a, a 
young couple, Ruth and Jimmy, are getting married because uh, they are they are pregnant. And so the first part of the movie, it, it just feels like a drama. You know, you, you the, the parents meet and you see stuff on TV. They're talking about uh, what, you know, the, the, the ongoing stuff between the Soviets and the U.S. And it's kind of one of those feelings like, oh, well, we're really not involved in that. That's what they're doing. But more and more, you start to see people ramping up and buying supplies. And you remember they had, um, they had like these commercials that you would watch that they were watching. And it was talking about, I think there was one that really stood out about how if somebody after an attack, if somebody dies, how you should wrap them up. And then after five days, if it was okay, you need to go outside and bury them. And it was like a commercial for, for a car lot. I mean, it was, you know, and then it, it eventually hits and, oh my God, same thing. You know, they, uh, they had a lot more scenes on the ground, I think, which made it really, really kind of, kind of hit home more than just seeing buildings blow up and stuff you know, the panic and the chaos that were going on in the streets. And that's just the first half of the movie. They go for another hour or so with the nuclear winter that comes on, um, you know, with, with all of the things that happen. I mean, it just, Oh my God, it's so, it's so grueling, you know? And then you think about the fact that like a 12 million people would have been killed in that initial exchange and how much of the UK, I mean, it's an island. So it's not like the US where we had all of this room. This affected so much. Uh, and then you've got that monotone BBC narrator. Um, just, you know, he's just, between that, and I think there'd be like computer screens that would come up and tell you different things, like how many people would die and how much, you know, fallout was and whatnot. Um, oh, and I don't remember who it is. And I, I wanted to look it up before I got on here, but there was, there was a guy who looked like he was in, he wasn't in the military, but maybe he was like a, a civilian guard or whatever, but he always had a, a, a mask, like a cheesecake mask on his face because of the burns. And that stuck with me. As a matter of fact, when I was looking it up, I saw that and I was like, God, instantly I remembered that guy. Um, and the one scene that's, that stuck out which you know you can kind of laugh but at the same time it 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 is really serious i remember when they go off and there's like family members trying to get you know the old lady down into the to the cellar and people are hiding up there was a guy literally on the toilet when it goes off and you know when it's your time it's your time you know you're going so that movie that movie was the most depressing thing i'd ever seen until i saw the road and then the road just took it to a whole nother level. Uh, so th yeah, threads to me was okay. First of all, give you a little backstory on my experience with the movie threads. I never heard of it until about maybe two years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really believe it or not. The way I heard about it is because I am an active, uh, participant in a group on Twitter, but the, yeah, the, the group is called basically the, post-apocalyptic um, group on Twitter that I belong to. So, and a majority of those people are from England. Um, mm. And like I said, there are a lot of writers, uh, some artists, 
but they're always talking about this movie Threads, man. And I'm like, what the heck is that? You know? So I finally got a chance to talk, check it out because it wasn't streaming in the U.S. for a long time for whatever reason. Usually IP, it, you know, intellectual property differences that they don't. Right. But that finally got cleared up and it was streaming. So I went and checked it out. And I was like, wow, that is way beyond what I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just like um, the day after it ends after, you know, the, the, the current, um, the current story is maybe goes for about 12 months, 12 to 18 months, I would guess. Um, and that's where it ends. But the movie threads, it goes on for, I think uh, a a generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. She has the baby. And uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the main character, the lead, the lead actress in the film was pregnant at the beginning and about two thirds of the way she gives birth to her child. And they, they say at that time that she's going to be, uh, have developmental issues. Right. And then as she's developing, you see that all the children that were born at that same time have some type of developmental issues. And and it's really, um, visible in that that there's a a scene where they're doing some kind of some kind of schooling and the kids can hardly speak English do you do you remember that part I I do well I don't remember the the school part but I remember her going to her mama to wake her up at one point and, and 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 it was very disjointed speech like like I don't even think she called her mom. I think she called her Ruth because she heard everybody else calling her Ruth and couldn't understand that she should, but was like, Ruth up, go work or something like that uh, over and over again. And it was like, Oh wow. And to think that that is what it could be. Exactly. And that's, yeah, that, that was, you know, take carrying it out. Another generation was, was really uh, kind of a brilliant move. For, yes, I agree. for that production yeah um because they do show that the it's not just going to impact this current uh generation man it's going to happen it's going to carry on for generations and in fact i think at the end of that movie they said that eventually the human race could eventually die out because oh, of sure it. because looking of at it. the way it was going oh yeah. yeah yeah because we knew um we know that it carries out for another generation and we see what eventually happens and it it can spell the end of the human race. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. So what other movies did you have on your list? Well, another movie and looking at this list, I kind of realized that uh, several of them took place, you know, on TV and another one that I, I guess I want to actually say I enjoyed because I actually bought it from Warner archives uh, several years ago and, and have rewatched it is World War Three, which actually came on January 31st, uh, 1982 uh, on NBC. And it's a movie that takes place like five years in the future. And you remember Boomer from uh, Battlestar Galactica? So Boomer and this other guy are in, at the beginning of the movie, um, a, a station in Alaska who are they're one of like the first ports of contact for anything coming over from the Soviet Union. And there's this big storm moving in and Boomer 
catches that there's actually uh, an airplane in right in front of the storm. And I remember him pointing it out to his, his, his buddy there. And the guy walks over to his desk and, you know, is fooling around and he comes back and he's got a gun and he kills Boomer. And you realize that the guy is a double agent. Um, he's there because the Russians have been under a U.S. grain embargo. And they have finally decided as enough is enough. And we are going to come in and take over the pipeline in Alaska and then you're going to have to turn off the embargo. And the only people to stop them is David Soul, who was the like Starsky the and Hutch, right? Starsky and Hutch and Salem's Lot. For yeah, me. right. Salem's uh, Lot. You know? Good movie. So he goes to, uh, he's the colonel of a National Guard group, which I, I don't remember why. I have to pull it out of my head, but Kathy Lee Crosby is in the group. And I don't, remember why she was there but everybody else is a man and david keith is it david keith or brian keith is the u.s no he's the ussr chancellor premier whatever and rock hudson is the u.s president and so the storm is moving in and these highly equipped highly trained soviet troops are headed toward this big substation and David Soul and his his National Guardians are the only ones there to, to keep them. And basically to keep them from a world war happening. Because if the Russians take this over, the, the U.S. government is going to, to counterattack. And uh, do you, have you ever seen this one? No, uh, I've heard of it. Um, uh, but it's one I'm going to certainly watch after, after talking it's, about it because... It, it's a different feel from these other movies that we're talking about because there's you know not to ruin it for you but throughout the movie it's all about troops fighting with knowing that if this isn't settled there that the missiles are next and there's this there's this great scene where of course they're down they don't they have very little you know ammunition so the americans are on the but you know at their wits end they take all of these pieces of piping that are like culverts and put them in crisscross areas and all the troops get into them. And when the Russians attack, you know, they, they, they use it to, I think they call it like a saw maneuver. So, I do remember this movie. Yeah. Yes. yes yeah. I, I did see that because when you talk about the, they were crisscrossing and they were hiding in, in these tubes. Yep. And yeah, that part I remember, um, I didn't know it was that, that the movie was, um, World War Three. I think I, I saw that one when it first came out. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I don't really remember ever thinking about that movie after that. Yeah, and like I said, there's not a lot of nuclear exchanges or anything like that in it, but it, it I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah. you know, yeah. So I am gonna, um, and, I am gonna check that movie out though. Good. Yeah. Call. How good. So we've talked a lot about the you know, the Russians versus the Americans. Um, but, you know, there's a movie that I've always enjoyed that it takes the Russians and the Americans together to save us. Have you ever seen 1979's Meteor? No. No. Okay. This is a, this is a really great movie, in my opinion. Uh, it's directed by Ronald Neem who also directed the Odessa file and uh, the Poseidon adventure. And it's all about this meteor 
Orpheus that's just like five miles wide and it's coming at us at like 35,000 meters per second headed straight to earth and we only have six days to stop it so you know Armageddon and and all in those movies they all have pulled from this one okay um, so so did you say that Sean Connery was in this movie yes oh, Sean okay. Connery is a U.S. scientist uh, who who created um the USS nuclear platform in space called Hercules. Henry Fonda is the president and Carl Malden is kind of like the, the, the lead guy. And, and I think uh, Martin Landau's in it. B.B. Beach is in it again. We've got to love us some B.B. Beach. Um, and they figured out that this, this meteor is so large that even if they turned all of their missiles around and shoot them, that it's not enough. So they, you know, cross over the Iron Curtain. Um, so the USSR has Peter the Great. So they have to work together and of course put all of their, their differences aside. Martin Landau is the, is the, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but he's the, the typical army guy who doesn't trust the Russians no matter what they do. And almost to the detriment of the whole, you know, mission. And then as it counts down to when they're getting everything in order and before the meteor strikes, there's what they call splinters, which are breaking off and hitting Earth at the different times. Uh, real cool practical effects versus computer animation. Uh, going back, I did watch some scenes of the, the, the strikes before we, watched, before we did this. Um, very cool. But for me, Natalie Wood as the interpreter for the Russians such a beautiful woman she and sean connery act so well off of each other uh, and you've got just these all these different little splinter strikes like in mongolia and siberia and the swiss alps and in italy uh, and it comes it literally comes down to the wire and if the rockets are going to go off and if all of them are going to go and if they'll split it up enough so that it doesn't destroy the earth um, i would definitely tell you if you haven't seen it to find it it um, has some really great acting in it and uh, okay. enjoy, the, enjoy that movie very much. You can actually see that on YouTube. A uh, little, little bit more on the sci-fi um, end of things. It sounds like mm -hmm. uh, more of a kind of a war of the worlds or um, there it's, it reminds me of that movie with um, came out in the, I think the nineties with, um, Ben Affleck. Yeah, that's Armageddon. Armageddon, yeah. 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 So you had Armageddon and then you had another movie with Taya Leone, and both of them were about asteroids coming to to destroy Earth. Um, so this one really they both whoever did the those two movies must have really been a big fan of Meteor. Okay, that's a well, lot of a lot of what it's like. Uh it's yeah. on my list, man. I'll check it out. I just I I just enjoyed it because it was one of the movies that stuck out where you had the same distrust you had, you know, because both of these satellites were pointed toward the other countries that at any moment they, you know, we could go to war and kill ourselves with it. And then these guys figure out a way to, to take that, that sickle and, and uh, not sickle, the scythe that is hanging down on us and turn it outwards to, to save us, uh -huh. you know? And yeah, of course, you know, these other movies have probably done a, a much you know, more beautiful job of it, but 
always is a favorite because as as a kid at that time it was kind of like not to sound corny but it was kind of like a a bright light that you could say hey they don't all we, we we don't we're not destined to end out in war we could maybe figure out a way to work this out we have to you know in in the the truth of the matter is it's it's fun to think about the you know the potential doomsday of the planet for entertainment purposes god forbid that would ever happen in reality because the reality of it would be more along the lines and probably even worse than that movie the road yeah and nobody wants right. to, nobody wants to end up in that kind of a world yeah you're right so 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 two other films that uh, i just want to briefly touch on and i think you and i may have talked about at least one of them uh those were going to be the ones that affected us uh much earlier than say by actually timeline that these talked about early times in the cold war and that would be fail safe from 1964 and on the beach from 57 59 um both movies are black and white and that does not detract from the scare factor of either one of them um yeah henry fonda i'm sorry uh, no all i was gonna say is to, don't be deceived by the these movies being created in you know back in the the 60s or even the oh no not at all because they not at all they're not heavily relying on special effects visual effects or any of that these are story driven character driven uh, movies that are just very strong impactful movies oh, yeah you you are so right on it i mean fail safe almost takes place in real time um and you know all about some some sack bombers that you know you go to a, used to would fly up to a point outside of russian airspace and then they they'd get to an area that was the fail safe area and then they would get a message and say okay come back we're not going to war and through a series of technical problems um, the message does not get through to the pilot and they've been trained not to uh, you know to get on task and to stay on task not to be uh, fooled by anything and no matter what they're doing uh, i think they even bring like the pilot's wife in and she's she's pleading with him you know you've got to because he can hear them uh -huh. but he has not gotten that message to come back so he has to stay on target and it really gets you up to the to, to the very last moment you know is he going to drop a bomb yep and if he does what is it going to do and so it's a definitely worth it's definitely a great movie but if you want to see it from another angle then if you watch on the beach that's a movie that is, takes place after a nuclear exchange has already happened exactly and, good point you know yeah and and that the only safe place that they're sure of the the, the um uh gregory peck and tony perkins are on uh the uss is it sawfish or swordfish i think it's sawfish. the name of the sub yeah i, I think but, it was swordfish it was okay okay uh, so they end up in Australia, which is pretty much the only place that was did not have a nuclear exchange on it. And 
even so, they've decided that within five months, the radioactive cloud will then pass over Australia. So they have to figure out some safe place to go. And I think the only two places they're looking at is up in the Arctic Circle. And I think they're getting a, a Morse code signal from San Francisco. And you remember that Morse code signal? Yes, but what I, what I remember the TV miniseries, um, mm -hmm. the one that had Armand Asante, I saw that one recently. Oh, so um, I didn't see that. Okay. I think it's the exact same story just told, you know, a little more up to date and they mm -hmm. drew, they drew it out a little bit longer for dramatic effect. Oh, uh, I knew they made a, a, a TV series too called the last ship. Right. That I think totally was, different it was, though. To yeah, totally, totally different, different, but still about a sub going around the world trying to it find was a, a safe place. It was actually a, a cruiser, like a, um, Oh, it was a cruiser. Yeah, oh, okay. A ship. Okay. See, I never ship. saw it. Yeah. Uh, it was okay. It had mixed reviews, but, you know, it, yeah. if you're into it, go check it out. It's about the end of the world, but it's more of a yeah. drama. It's not really, ah, yeah. you know, um, but on the beach. Okay. So they were getting a signal. They believed it was from somewhere in the Arctic, um, north of Alaska. So yeah, they get on, they get on their submarine. There's so many things in this movie, man. We could sit here and talk, <laughs> yeah. you know, but um, the plot is they, they go up there to try to find out if there's anybody surviving and if the radiation had moved away, you know, cleared up faster than they expected it to. Yeah. Um, devastatingly, they find out that it's not the case. You know, mm -hmm. the, the whole world is still irradiated. There are yeah. no survivors whatsoever there's no life at all no no safe place yeah and this movie actually could have been a depressing movie but they didn't end on a depressing note you know um, how, how do you mean well because there's like what, what i got what i walked away from it with is realizing the world could end tomorrow and what we need to do is live for the moment, appreciate oh, okay. what we okay. have, you know, and, and stop worrying about all the, you know, we, we have to think about it and we have to work towards building a future, securing the future and making it safe and um, continuing on for our children, grandchildren and future generations. However, our internal uh, motivation has to be enjoy the moment, appreciate the moment, because you don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, let alone yes. tomorrow. Yes. Okay, I'm with you. And the, with the you. end of the movie kind of landed on that note for me, was that, yeah. you know, they're there, they know they're going to die, but at the same time, they're, they've done all they can do, no regrets. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is the last moments of their life, so... Just enjoy yes. it, enjoy it, you know. And that's what I'm, they did. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you because like that car race they have at the end. Yeah, you know? yeah. Talk about they gave everything to that race. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. So yeah, uh, you know, on that point, uh, it did leave a, a measure of hope that even if the world was to end, yeah, civilization is going to crumble. You know, people are going to 
uh, revert to their basic instinct, rob, pillage, you know, destroy. But there's also going to be people that just know these, these are the final moments, man. I'm, I'm going to do what's important to me. I'm going to spend time with those that I care about. I'm going to do something that I've always wanted to do, but always been right. afraid to do. Mm-hmm. So the message is don't wait until it's too late to do that thing in your life that you always wanted to do. Right. Right. So, and great movie. All of, yeah. all of those movies that you suggested were excellent movies. Well, thank you. Those movies all speak to me about what the cold war was or, you know, what it could have been. Thank God that we never went down that path that no matter how things, how bad things got, we never um, made that into a reality um, because some of these are so bleak. Hopefully uh, the leaders of this, you know, the, the world that we currently live in will remain prudent enough to keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah. From your, from your lips, man, from your lips. Yeah. Uh, you never know. You, you nope. never know. The, the world is a very precarious place. There's, there are factions within the world that want to tear down civilization that they would be completely satisfied if the world would burn. Yeah. Just that's all they want to do is sit back and watch the world burn. You know, I'm with you. And now not to get off on a, you know, a tangent here, but now there's not just one big baddie, you know, now there's so many baddies that Agreed. we have to worry about, yeah. you know, with nuclear. Thank God. I don't, I don't worry about that too much because it's like, like, like this, the, the, you know, with the, the, on the beach method is I'm, I'm trying to try to live our life every day and enjoy our life every day. Focus on the moment, focus on your you know, you, what, what can you affect in this world and put forth a a meaningful effort to make that or to affect that change within your life, you know, and the, and the people in your life. Right on. Um, But that's, that's the message that I think that most of these movies have, even though they're, they're trying to make a point that, Nuclear war is, you know, by all means, it's the last, um, it should be the last resort, you know, and it should never even be considered. But the, yeah. the fact is- Because it literally it, would be the last world war. Yeah. There wouldn't be a four. <laughs> right, right. You know? Well, Einstein uh, made it quite clear that uh, I don't know how the third world war would be fought, but yes. I do know the fourth world war would be fought with sticks and stones. Exactly. Because yeah, we'll, we'll destroy civilization as we know it. Mm-hmm. Yes, if sir. that's the case, man. And you know, there were, there were plenty of times during that cold war era, as we talked about, there were plenty of times that we came pretty close to the brink. And you know, I don't think, I think there are times we don't even know about that we got too close to. Well, there, there are certainly times that are not common knowledge that most mm-hmm. people don't know about. Um, 
Well, the for for one, the Cuban Missile Crisis that's pretty well known, but there's there's several other incidents that were uh, just as precarious and potentially even more dangerous that we avoided just by the hair on our chins. Yep. Um, You're right. But you know, all of that makes for great movies, makes for great drama. Just keep it in the realm of fiction, please. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Was there other, um, you you say you had mentioned that there was um, some, some books or some well, other media was, that you want to talk about? There was actually one comic book. Oh, okay. That comic book. I, I really, uh, it's, a, it's a very obscure comic that came out from Epic, uh, which was a Marvel offshoot at the time. Um, in 1985, it was called The One. And it was, it, it was a really weird, it was a very adult. I mean, my 15-year-old self was probably right at the, at the bottom of who should have been reading this. Uh, but a guy named Rick Veach drew it. And it, it's this, this is strange story about World War III nuclear exchange being brought on by this billionaire um, who does it basically he thinks to make money. But unbeknownst to him, the Russians have an Uber hero that uh, they have created based on some of the Nazi experiments of World War II. And then the Americans have uh, a man and a woman, a brother and sister, who are their heroes. And when the exchange actually goes off, instead of destroying the world, it kind of does um, a, a Stephen King's The Stand, where it turns a bunch of people into kind of ghouls, and the rest of the people all go into a collective coma. And I, I, mean, I, I can't even sit here. I actually went to look for a good description of it. And that's probably as close to understanding it as you could get without reading all six issues. But I remember thinking it was the wildest World War II ending that I had seen all during. And of course, this, like I said, this was 85. So this was right in the middle of it. Um, you know, the, the end even though it was only a few years off, people really weren't even considering. Uh, but uh, if you ever have a chance, I think it's been, it's been reprinted. Uh, you can get it all in one collection. Uh, and it has all of these great covers, each cover, like one of them looks like a box of Tide, one of them looks like a dollar bill, one of them looks like a Coke can. And Rick has this amazing artwork style that's, that's his own. Um, but that was probably the number one thing. I remember reading things like I remember reading on the beach and fail safe and uh, a lot of different, you know, PA books that took place after world war three. But that actually, that comic is the one thing that stood out the most for me. Cool. Yeah. I'll check it out. That sounds like a, an interesting, sounds uh, almost like a, a zombie uh, story. Kind of. It's it's um, it's got this one scene I remember in it where all of the baddies kind of like form this moving mountain of people, and um, the the one is actually like the collective superhero uh, that doesn't speak, and it's just it's really out there. So 
forgive me if you don't like it, but I think it's definitely worth a try. Okay. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll look it up. It should be on Comixology or something like that. Yeah. It's, like I said, I think they just re, re-released it uh, in uh, in like a, a trade for sure. But uh, okay. yeah, check it out. But how about you? What's uh what's a media that like, what's a book or something that's that, that encapsulates the cold war for you? Oh, well for me, my, my, I, you know, I say this kind of, um, uh, I'm not quite sure if I can say this definitively because my, my mind changes on what's my favorite, uh-huh. but for, for a while now, I, I always revert back to Dr. Strange love. Oh yeah. To me, that's the ultimate world war three movie. Um, and the world does end and mm-hmm. it basically gets to a point where it's beyond human control. Right. Uh, and that's kind of, I mean, if you think about it, artificial intelligence is a, is an up and coming superpower. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's what they talk about in that movie. I, I'm not sure what year that came out. I think it was 64 65 is around the same time failsafe came out in fact yeah i think you're right the two movies were competing at the box office and because dr strangelove was such a big hit failsafe kind of failed at the box office even Uh, though failsafe was just as good of a movie um but dr strangelove just had so much star power and you know stanley kubrick Mm -hmm. uh, behind your sellers Oh yeah. oh yeah, Peter Sellers, yeah, George right. C. Scott. So he was on fire, you know. Great acting. Yes, sir. Absolutely great acting in that film. Um, so yeah, that movie, uh, and I saw it at a, as as a young kid, and I've went back and wa- rewatched it several times, and I could sit and watch that movie any day, any day of the week. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, and it comes on um, the Turner. Uh, classic movies channel okay comes on that i think about once or twice a year and every time i see it on that tv channel i watch it so <laughs> that's why i say it's probably my all-time favorite world war three movie or cold war movie gotcha um but yeah there's so many things i could talk about in that movie <laughs> whole podcast about that one, yeah huh? exactly yeah, I'm with you. I enjoy that movie, but it's not um it's it's not even on like say my top ten. Um I don't know why. I think when it devolves into a uh a pie throwing contest, it just lost me. Um but you know, I understand what you know, there's certain movies that you don't like or don't get, but you understand why other people like them. And that's one of them. I understand why people will like it. It's just it's just not my ice cream. It's just not my Rocky road. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And hey, man, no, you know, no hard feelings in that because it is a weird movie. It's, it's, yeah. it's way off the cuff. Not a lot of people um, even understand what the movie's about because it's so out there. True. But if you, if you haven't seen it in a while, uh-huh. uh, try rewatching it with the, and keep your eye on the, some of the conspiracy theories that are running rampant now. Oh, the conspiracies love to do Stanley Kubrick movies. I don't know what they, they think he must've come from outer space or something. 
This one talks about fluoride in the water. Uh-huh. And it's it's just so bizarre. There's they throw in a multitude of conspiracy theories in this movie. And um yeah, it's just a wild movie, man. It's a wild ride. Well, I will give it a rewatch just for you. We'll do yeah. a follow-up. Well, if nothing else, it's worth watching <laughs> Doctor Strange Love at the end of the movie. Stand up and salute like I can walk. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll never forget that bomb drop, you know? Oh yeah. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. Slim Pickens, man. That was that. That was was probably like the most, I I think they even did a scene uh, in one of the Simpsons episodes. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Outside of that, I mean, the movies that we talked about all, um, stood out for me a couple of couple of other just like honorable mentions i would throw out there uh-huh. uh rocky three where he goes I break you he, no no um <laughs> no that's that's the wrong Four. one yeah <laughs> i meant rambo three. Oh, okay <laughs> rambo three, when he goes i was like man go with it you know well, you're, you're you right love, rocky, that's what you love you know when rocky and drago go toe-to-toe russians and the the american or soviets and the americans toe-to-toe in the in the ring um but no the the one that i, I really wanted to, to mention was rambo three when he goes into afghanistan right. fights against the russians um that one was that one was one of my favorite Rambo movies. Uh-huh. And then um Red Dawn. Red oh, Dawn. Was, Red Dawn. Yeah, even though it Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't it, you know, it was more of the Cubans coming and uh invading the US. They were um they were supported by the Russians or the Soviets. Right. And uh I, you know, just a great patriotic feeling movie and you know, you're going at the end of it, you're going, God bless America. You know, yeah. I'm yeah. proud to be American. Booth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Powers he was Booth from, um, what, what's the, uh, Dawn, Twilight? Uh, by Dawn's early light. By Dawn's early light. Right. Yeah. 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 Another, another good, uh, honorable mention right there by Dawn's early light. That's true. Man, it's that had one. some stars in it. Definitely. James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. Who's also in Dr. Strange Love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was also in Doctor Strange Love as a young actor. Man, he was young in that uh, movie, Doctor Strange Love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's there's tons of movies that are uh, worthy of an hour, hour and a half, two hours of your time to go check out, and if you're really interested in this topic. Yes, sir. Um. So. With that, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that um, maybe we didn't cover? Because we're kind of, you know, getting to a point where I'd like to wind it down, so it's oh, not no, too I, long. No, I mean we, you know, we could talk about Invasion USA, which is better than uh, Red Dawn, but you know, we're not going to go there. Is um, that a movie? <laughs> I thought that oh, was a that, video game. No, with Chuck Norris. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, I know what you're talking about. You're right. <laughs> yeah, and it's again, it's uh, Soviet-backed uh, uh, Cubans come to America, but you know. Oh, but, didn't they come and, through? I thought they came through Alaska. No, invasion, this invasion one they come USA. through. Um, they come through uh, uh, Florida, through Miami. Oh, okay. And okay. that's the one with Richard Lynch, where and the one where uh, Chuck Norris has the two uh, Uzis hanging from under his armpits. 
Right. Um, you know, I was you such know. A, a huge Chuck Norris fan back in the day, but all I watched those movies for back then was the karate. All I wanted to see was <laughs> the martial arts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, that's a, that's a fun movie though. <laughs> um, but no, I think, I think, you know, I, I'm good to wrap it up from here. Okay. Uh, well, so for anybody that wants to get in touch with you or find out what you're working on, I always give my guests an opportunity to plug your projects let people oh, know wow. how to get in contact with you. So go. So Twitter is always the, a great place. It's uh, fave, the number five from fans. Uh, you can find us uh, there. Uh, it's got all of our episodes you can download. You can also go to Spotify, uh, Apple iTunes, Stitcher. All the podcast podcasts, platforms. Yeah, all yeah. those places. Um, we've got a um, site on Facebook. Um, we've got a... Um, uh, a website fave five from fans it's uh it's very simplistic um but you can email me i'm hulk boy at fave five from fans uh if you got an idea for a show or you want to complain about a list uh you can send, shoot it to me there and um like i said we'll have a, a an announcement probably within the next week or so um, that'll be out there. So check back our feeds. Uh, it'll be something, something new, uh, hopefully exciting. And you're also a fellow member of the SIP network. Yes, I am. My Sip slightly Net. irregular US. podcast brothers. Yeah. SIPnet.us. There you go. Um, where you can find all the best podcasts. All of them. <laughs> more and more every week. <laughs> uh, right, right. Yeah, covering many different topics from yeah. movies and entertainment to history and education. Yeah, I, I love how varied we are because if you can't find something on the SIP network, you are you need to you need to do something. It's <laughs> <Yeah, absolutely. laughs> a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, there's there. plenty, plenty of cool from stuff. angry dads to wasteland to pop culture now we have a 24 7 christmas podcast so it's something on there for everybody definitely yeah and a lot of a lot of great dudes man everyone yes, in that in that group is just heart of gold you're right you are yeah. so right everybody's willing to help each other support each other and uh, i appreciate those guys everyone there's some great stuff for sure yeah all right, my friend. Well, if there is nothing else, then we can uh, we can call it. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on the show. No, I appreciate you coming on, Jamie. And hopefully we could do it again. I mean, there's plenty of things. Like I said, the, the Cold War era encompasses so many things. Yes, uh, you're right. We could talk about it for years. Sounds like a plan. All right, Jamie. Well, you have All a right, good take one. Take care. Take care. You too now. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Dead Hand Radio is a podcast about the Cold War, its history, and the effects it had on our culture, technology, and the future of our world. My goal is to examine these and other topics, to learn, to educate, to entertain, and exchange ideas with those interested. So join me, and together we'll explore a fascinating period of history and examine some incredible advancements in weapons, technology, science, art, and culture and discuss how all of it relates to the future of our world. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this program, drop me an email or visit deadhandradio.com.
You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm Andrew Hall, and this is Dead Hand Radio. Thanks for listening. Thank you.